No, we don't actually have a scripture. That's last week. That's good. You will be very confused. Again, it's the test of your listening. If you go, hey, hold on. Dan preached on that last week. Then you pass. If you go, oh, I've never heard that before. (laughs) Then that's okay as well. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Uh, Let me grab a mic. Yes, this is... uh, one of those mornings. Um, so uh, during, I don't know if you noticed, probably no one did, but one of the strings broke on the guitar mid-worship, which is always fun. So you're kind of trying to retune halfway through. And uh, anyway, what, uh, our, our regular mic isn't working, so I'm uh, using this today. But it doesn't matter because we're here, we're, we're worshiping God, we're in his presence, and his word is always faithful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that... You are here in our midst, not just in our imaginations, but through the actual presence of the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit who communicates to us the presence of the risen Jesus and the ascended Jesus. And uh, Lord, so we don't just speak these words with some vague hope that somehow something spiritual is going on, but we know the mechanics. We know that uh, you died and you rose again. You ascended. Now, you're, now you're, you're, you're seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit is, is, is sent. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. That even when we don't see it, you're working. That uh, you are convicting. That you are challenging. You are encouraging. Uh, and Lord, that, that even uh, amidst... Um, all the vacillations of life and the uncertainties of life, that your word is rock solid and true and hope-filled. So I pray, Lord, that uh, we, would, we would receive, that we would come to you with our parched souls, with our hungry hearts, and that we would allow you to meet those needs that only you are able to through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was talking with Courtney last week, and uh, she said something that um, that resonated with me. She said this: uh, that when kids don't have boundary, or when kids do have boundaries, they feel safe. And then the reverse is also true: when the kids don't have boundaries, they they don't feel safe. So just think about that for a second. When kids have boundaries they feel safe. And one of the reasons this is true, I believe, and I've had you know, 17 years of experience, is that, uh, is that when kids have boundaries, then they know what to expect. And they can relax in knowing um, what they can expect, that you know, life's going to throw them less, maybe, curveballs. And that's why, as adults, we have things like the rules of the road, this is why we have stop signs, this is why we have speed limits, so that we no longer have to think about them and instead we can start enjoying the journey, really getting to where we are heading. So try to imagine life without any boundaries. Try to remember, for example, here in Ottawa where they started to put in roundabouts or traffic circles all over the city and many people, mainly those who've never driven, in the UK or Europe, did not know what to do with them. They were this foreign invasion of weird circular things. And uh, so 
Some people treated them as a four-way stop. I arrive, you arrive, you go first, then me. All, all, all of that kind of thing. Well, others would take forever to get onto the roundabout because they were constantly waiting because they're polite Canadians and that's what you do. You just wait, wait, wait. And it was frustrating because the rules weren't clear. Uh, I think I've mentioned this in the past, but we even had the one roundabout here in the city that was the reverse rule. So you were on the roundabout and you waited for people to enter the roundabout, which is completely wrong. But now we've had them for a few years and people generally know how to use the roundabouts. Hands up if you're confident driving around a roundabout. Okay, hands up if you're not so confident driving around a roundabout. Okay, we still, I see you, I see you. And, uh, and the rule is simple, right? Is that you always yield or give way to the left to the person who's already on the roundabout. And what you'll notice now is that 90% of drivers are just zipping around the roundabout. They, they get to where they need to go much faster because they understand their rules, they understand the boundaries, and the boundaries make them feel safe. Setting boundaries and making them clear leads to freedom. And when it comes to navigating through life, the Bible is a great resource for setting up healthy boundaries in our lives. It gives security and peace. It, it makes us feel safe. Uh, we might not like what the Bible has to say sometimes, um, and we might initially rebel against it, but like a child who wants to touch the hot element but is restrained, the Bible keeps us from harm over and over again. It protects us. Its contents are there for our own good. So I hope that you are reading the Bible and uh, uh, finding some healthy boundaries from it. And when I have healthy boundaries, this enhances my feeling of gratitude. I am grateful when I know that whatever life has to throw at me, God has my best interests at heart and that nothing that he tells me to do is to harm me or to ruin my ultimate joy. Nothing he tells me is to harm me or to ruin my ultimate joy. And that's what this series is about, is about protecting our lives of gratitude by identifying and then learning how to maybe defeat its enemy. So, so far we've looked at the enemy of nostalgia by acknowledging what God is doing now. That's how we overcome the enemy of nostalgia. We've learned as well how to defeat the enemy of amnesia by learning how to live well with much or with little, whether you're in the, in the land of promise or whether you're in the great and terrible wilderness. Last week, we learned how to combat the um, enemy of worry by practicing the spiritual art of flushing. And I'm sure that some of you remember those lovely graphics that we had up on the screen by sending our worries to God through prayer and then allowing his peace to flood our souls just as the water comes in and fills the toilet bowl after you flushed. And this week, the enemy of gratitude we're facing up against is the boundaryless life. The boundaryless life. So the enemy's boundarylessness. Having no boundaries. I got a drinking problem. <laughs> Sorry. I hope the mic still works. <laughs> I wouldn't have said anything except my daughter suddenly scoffed. Excuse me, I don't have a drinking problem. Please don't turn that audio into a meme, okay? 
So the unboundary less like, just as if I had a narrower spout on that, I wouldn't have made such a mess. There we go, great example. So you could also use the word free-for-all. What I mean by this is that there are no rules or principles or boundaries to live by. And when, when that's the case, the result is not freedom or joy. In fact, it's the worst sort of bondage. The bondage of being frozen by indecision. The bondage of everything being on the table. The bondage of having no idea what is the best course of action. And I would say that this is a bondage that our society is facing at the moment. Everything is on the table. Nothing is not allowed. Your truth is your truth. There are no fun ultimate fundamentals or universal truths. And I don't see that people are happier in general as a result or more at peace in general as a result as we look around our society. That being said, let's turn to our text. Matthew 22, starting at verse 15. Matthew 22, starting at verse 15 says this, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to trap him by what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're truthful and teach truthfully the way of God. You don't care what anyone, anyone tells you and anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. Then tell us what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So the Pharisees were nationalists. They believed in the Jewish dream. They wanted Israel to succeed over everything else. The Herodians on the other side were, as their name suggests, fans of Herod and the line of the Herodic kings. These uh, kings who ruled over the Jews, but only at the pleasure of the Roman Empire. So the Herods were sort of maybe puppets. Uh, it was a puppet administration. And the Pharisees hated the fact that the Jews did not have self-rule, while the Herodians embraced this reality. In other words, these two factions were political and social enemies. However, as the old adage goes, the uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend. And perhaps someone they hated more than each other was Jesus of Nazareth because he threatened both of their worldviews while the people loved him more and more and more. So they joined forces to undermine him, which led to this pretty sneaky riddle being brought to Jesus. And their intent, as verse 15 tells us, was to trap him, to, to, to get him tangled up in his words. So they sent their disciples along with the Herodians and really, they are asking him to pick a side who is right. So the Herodians who encouraged the paying of taxes, or the Pharisees who do not believe in financing, a corrupt regime who worship an emperor who sets himself up against the one true God. Who is right? Who, who, who has the right of it? Verse 18. It says, perceiving their malicious intent, Jesus said, why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. They brought him a denarius whose image and inscription is this. He asked them, Caesar's, they said to him. Thing is, Jesus knows what they're up to. He knows that they have an angle. He knows that they have a motive. He knows that their hearts are not 
good or pure. He knows that this is not an, a, a question from a pure or innocent heart. He knows it and he wants them to know that he knows what they're up to. Hence his answer, why are you testing me? Hypocrites. And always remember that Jesus is infinitely wise. He's infinitely shrewd. He can sniff out a fake from a mile off. And what Jesus hates, maybe more than many things or even anything, is hypocrisy. And friends, you and I will be faced with various people as we represent Christ in the, the culture at large. People who are truly interested and are asking questions from a sincere place, as well as people who are trying to catch you with a gotcha question. Hypocrites who have no interest in the truth. And so I find it interesting that Jesus does answer their question, but he doesn't let them off the hook. He highlights their hypocrisy. You see, they don't really want to know his answer. The Herodians are entrenched in their worldview just as the Pharisees are. The Herodians know that if Jesus says don't pay taxes, then they've got him for insurrection. And the Pharisees know that if Jesus says do pay taxes, then they've got him as a non-patriot. And so just on that point that I made that neither the Herodians or the Pharisees really want his answer, that they just want to be reaffirmed in what they already believe to be true, this is a caution for us. In a world of Facebook groups and partisan media, both on the right and the left, in a world, world of confirmation loops and confirmation bias, where YouTube algorithms take us ever deeper down rabbit holes and cancelling people that we don't agree with is just a part of life. We need to be careful that we aren't coming to Jesus with our questions, but really we only want him to confirm what we already believe. And so the kindest thing that can be done for us is what we see Jesus doing to the Pharisees and the Herodians. He exposes their hypocrisy and he speaks truth into their life. And that really is what the Bible is able to do for us in 2023. If we come to the Bible, if we come to Jesus agendaless, as agendaless as we're able to be, seeking truth, whatever the outcome or the cost, then we believe that it too can expose our hypocrisy or our blind spots as well as speaking truth into our lives. Amen. So what is this truth that Jesus speaks and how does it refer back to this week's enemy of gratitude, a, a boundaryless life? Viewing life as a free-for-all where anything goes. Well, remember Courtney's words at the beginning of the sermon? Where kids have boundaries, they feel safe. And the same goes for us all. Well, Jesus' boundaries can be summed up in 17 words. Give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and, the thing, and, and to God the things that are God's. So based on these 17 words, I want us to look at three realms. I want us to look at Caesar's realm. I want us to look at God's realm. And I want to look at our realm. What is Caesar's realm or the government's? What is God's and what is ours? For me, what is mine? And for you, what is yours? Because here's the tension that we face. We are, if we are in Christ, then we're citizens of his kingdom but the arena in which we live out our citizenship is in an earthly location. It's in Canada or the US, the UK, Romania, Egypt, Malaysia, wherever we live. And our, earth, our heavenly kingdom has rules or expectations, just as our earthly country has rules or expectations. So first the question is, what is Caesar's? And Jesus answers it 
give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Now, maybe the clearest passage that outlines our duty to our earthly government is Romans chapter 13, verse 1. That says this, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Then do what is good and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, then be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servant, continually attending to these tasks. Verse 7, pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those whom you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls and respect to those you owe respect and honor to those you owe honor. In general, our duty as citizens of heaven is to be um, the best citizens on the planet. Now, of course, what often leaps into our minds is the reality that regardless of what we read in Romans 13, um, oftentimes the government is corrupt Often it's an object of fear rather than trust. And some of us saw this reality during the, the, the Freedom Convoy. Some of us saw this reality during the Emergency Act. So perhaps we feel that Paul has somehow checked out of reality and he's now wandering the streets of fantasy with this like magical um, leadership who are just absolutely perfect. Maybe Paul wrote these words under a really fair government um, who were really favorable, who meshed perfectly with the kingdom principles that Paul held up. But of course, that's not the case. Paul wrote these words while Nero was emperor. Nero, who later on, not at that time, but later on, would use Christians as human torches to light his garden parties that Nero. So Paul isn't saying that Nero or Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden or Rishi Sunak are the best examples of human leadership. But what Paul is saying is that as a general rule of thumb, that in general, as Christians who are part of Christ's kingdom while living in a human kingdom, we should, by, we should abide by the rules of the government, including paying our taxes. Even Jesus paid his taxes, as Matthew 17, 25 shows us. Now, that's not to say that protest is wrong or uprisings are never an option. The uh, Wesleyan Study Bible says this, um, uh, says Paul, Paul does not mean that all authorities under all circumstances must be obeyed. Note that Paul himself was put to death by Rome. And then I find anti-rights words helpful that the Christians are called yeah, to believe, though that the civic authorities, great and small, are there because the one true God wants his world to be ordered, not chaotic. God wants his, uh, this, this does not validate particular actions of particular governments particular governments is merely to say that some government is always necessary in a world where evil flourishes when unchecked and in a similar vein 
Ramesh Khatri writes this. Um, Paul says, yes. When, when Paul says that whoever rebels against the authorities is rebelling against what God has instituted, he's not justifying submission to dictatorships and totalitarian regimes. Still, many throughout the history of the church have used this verse for exactly that purpose. But the context indicates that Christians need not obey state edicts that violate God's commands. What Paul is forbidding is not criticism of the government, but belonging to a group that is intent on throwing society into disorder. So I wonder where you are on this front, giving to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. What does it mean to live uh, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven within the dominion of Canada? What does it mean to live as a disciple of Jesus in Ontario in the national capital region? What is God saying to you through this verse? Give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And the next realm we're going to look at is the realm of God. If you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then of course you have a duty to God. Give then to God the things that are God's. Caesar or the government cannot lay claim, much as you might feel they want to, they cannot lay claim to all that you have. Not to get, not to get political, but when the government started freezing the assets and the bank accounts of people who supported the Freedom Convoy, on both sides of the aisle, people stood up and they took notice because they said, hold on, you're not able to do that. That's not right. And so as citizens of Jesus' coming and present kingdom, we have a duty to him. So let's look at some verses that lay out our duty clearly. And as we're reading them, I'm not necessarily going to unpack them much. I kind of want them to stand on their own merit. But as you're reading them, I want you to be asking, what is it I'm seeing? What is it that I'm reading? So first verse, Deuteronomy 10, 14. The heavens, indeed, the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord had his heart set on your ancestors and loved them. Next verse, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord, for he laid its foundations on the, on the seas and established it on the rivers. Next verse, Psalm 95. The depths of the earth are in his hand and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry, the, the, the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. He is our maker, he's our God, and we are his people in his pasture. When we have boundaries, we feel safe. 1 Corinthians 10, eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. The earth is the Lord's, therefore we can enjoy it. Are you enjoying what God has provided for you? 1 Samuel 2, he raises the poor from the dust, he lifts the needy from the trash heap, he sets them with noble men and gives them a throne of honor for the foundations of the Lord, uh, of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. 
Psalm 47 verse 9 says this, The nobles of the people have assembled with the people of the God of Abraham for the leaders of the earth, including the government, belong to God. He is greatly exalted. So just have that in your mind that there is a realm of the government. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but the government belongs to God. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. First Chronicles 29. So what is God's? Everything is God's. We could actually take that uh, Venn diagram and instead of having three parts of the pie, just make it all God's. And in fact, if you keep on reading, it is out of seeing that everything is God's that our giving to God is placed in its correct context. Verse 12, riches and honor come from you and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hands and is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, God, out of that reality, we give you thanks and praise your, your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. But as Moses tells us in Exodus 9.29, sometimes we need to be reminded that all of this is God's after all. Moses said to him, when I have left the city, I will spread out my hands unto the Lord. The thunder will cease, there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth belongs to the Lord. But as for you and your officials, I know that you still do not fear the Lord God. Sometimes we, we start to imagine that uh, all of this is mine with a little bit here for the government uh, because I have to and a tiny bit for God. So we've looked at um, living in the world both as citizens of Canada or wherever and citizens of heaven of the kingdom of Jesus. We've seen that we have a duty both to Caesar to give him what is his and to God to give him what is his. We've seen that ultimately everything belongs to God, including Caesar and including ourselves. So let's close this message with looking at what is ours. The third part of the Venn diagram, what is ours? And yes, we do get something. First of all, because God gave humankind the role of superintendents of the world under his authority. That's what happened in, you know, in the Garden of Eden. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. This is ours. This is ours. This is God's creation mandate. This is ours. But that's only part of the picture because in Christ we're actually given so much more. As we read these verses, I want you to allow God to speak to you. Allow God to remind you of his generous heart, of his self-sacrificing nature. What is ours? Let's look. Romans 8.32, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Everything is ours. Romans 4, 25. He was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our, 
for our justification. On the cross, Jesus traded our trespasses for our justification. 1 Corinthians 3, so let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or, or life or death or things present or things to come. Everything is yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So, brothers and sisters, we're, 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 we're um, clutching onto our resources, those, you know, you know, the peanuts that we can make, that we can accrue, that we can hold on to. We're holding on to them. While verses like this exist, everything is yours. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Maybe over this next week, that's not, it's not a bad thing for you to do to just mull those three phrases over. Everything is yours. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Everything is yours. You belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. Everything is yours. You belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. Everything is yours. One of the enemies of gratitude is living a boundaryless life. When you have no undergirding principles with which to enjoy and use your money or your resources, you will always have a scarcity mindset. But here in Matthew, we're given a framework. We're given boundaries within which true freedom lies. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And when you understand that it's all his anyways, the earth is his, that you're his, that Caesar is is his, and that God has already given you everything, when you understand all that, then giving back to him is an act of worship and trust and gratitude that what was already his in the first place suddenly is his again. You can give it to him. And suddenly giving then stops being an impossible task. And instead it becomes an expression of gratitude. It becomes the start of an adventure of faith where you, you give to God what is his and you trust him that he's, he will provide for you. There is freedom in boundaries. Total freedom is no freedom at all, but a life that's protected by the boundaries that God has established brings peace and joy. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 16 verse 5, Lord, you are my portion. You are my, my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines for me have fallen for me in pleasant places. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That is the boundary life. That is a life of gratitude. Let's pray as the worship team comes up. Lord, I thank you for the markings on the road that help us to live lives of gratitude and thankfulness. I thank you that we're not just left alone trying to figure everything out, but that you have 17 words in your word that says give to caesar what is caesar's and to god what is god's 
You ask us to look at the image and the inscription on those coins and you ask us to look at the image and the inscription on our lives. Whose are we? Whose whose is the image that we bear? It's yours. Whose is the inscription that we have? It's yours. So Lord, may we render unto God what is God's. May we render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And Lord, we just say, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.